And that's what, what the book of Ephesians begins. Let me, let me tell you all these things uh, about your sitting. And in particular today, the topic out of those two passages in, in uh, chapter 1 and chapter 3 is, what do we do when we're sitting? And, and Paul says, we need to be praying. So the theme of today's sitting is, is our prayer life. He says, I kept on asking. In other words, he was persistent. So if you've got a kid under the age of, I don't know, let's say seven or eight, and you announce we're going to go to Disneyland in two weeks, what is your life like? <laughs> right? They hit the breakfast table. Today? We're going today? We're going this morning? Well, no, not this morning. Oh, okay. Lunchtime? What happens? This afternoon? We're going this afternoon? A, a, a persistence like none other. God is saying in, in, in our text... And Paul is modeling for us this idea of persistence in prayer. I, I kept on, I, he says in verse 16, I, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I have not stopped remembering you in my prayers. I kept asking. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says to pray without ceasing. And I used to really struggle with that. I mean, how do you pray without ceasing? I mean, okay. I mean, I, I got to shower, I, 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 I got to drive, I, I got to work, I, I got to have a conversation. How do, how do I pray without ceasing? Well, the, the without ceasing does not mean nonstop. What it really means, though, is that there is a constant reoccurring of it. So, when you have someone on the mind and someone that you're deeply concerned about and you are praying for them, it reoccurs. It happens maybe in the morning as you first get out of bed and you pause and, and remember them in prayer. It, it happens maybe during your shower or in the car on the way to wherever. We have the advantage now. People think we're talking on the phone in our car. We can talk out, to, out, out loud to the Lord all day long. Nobody will care. We need to be reoccurring in our interest, in our focus. He's, he, he is persistent in his prayer. And in chapter 1, he gives us a, a several things that we should be praying for. Now, um, look at verse 17. He says, I kept asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit, notice the capitalization, the Holy Spirit, he may give you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation for a purpose, so that you may know him better. So that, it's a, it's a little Greek word, it's a, it's a little Greek word, it's inna, I-N-A, and it means so that, for a purpose, in order that, so this thing can happen. He prays that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation so that they could know him better, so that you may know him better. All right, so wisdom, what does that mean? It's the idea that, 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 that knowledge got shifted down through your heart and, and now it affects your daily life. I, I, I've, known, I've known Christians that say, well, I've, I've known the Lord all my life. And you look at the pattern of their life and you go, Really? Didn't look like a whole lot got sifted down, that that made it through the grid, that started affecting the way you live. I'm not saying that it makes us perfect. I'm saying it makes us better. It makes us different. It makes us more sensitive to sin. It makes us more quick to apologize. It makes us more kind. It makes us more patient. Not perfectly patient. Not perfectly kind. But moving in a direction. So he's what he's saying here is, is that that the that you would have wisdom. It would start. To impact you. It does me no good as a Bible teacher for, for this room to be full every week and all of you act like everybody else in South County. It, I get no joy. 
I get no spiritual joy. But when I hear, you know, Sherry, I've been struggling with this in my life and I'm making some progress. Wow, all right, great. Or, hey, uh, you know, I, I'm stretching out in this area or I've started this spiritual discipline or I'm, I'm trying to apply this truth in my life or my family is trying to engage in this or my husband and I are working on that. Now, now there's some enthusiasm because it's making a difference in your life. And the second one is the word revelation. He said, I pray that God would give you revelation. It literally means to take the lid off. When you take the lid off of something, you get to see what's under with a, with a more exposed kind of view. And he says, I, I'm praying that God would give you these two things, wisdom and revelation, so that you can know him better. I, 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 uh, having been raised in a, in a Roman Catholic family, a good one, I would add. Lots of performance things in our home. We did this, we did that, we went to church, we prayed together as a family every night, etc., etc., etc. And 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 the the cry of my heart as a child was, I, I, I want to see God, I want to go to heaven. And 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 the only thing that was available to me was was performance things. Do this and do that and do more of these and do more of those and and of course, the whole thought was that there would be a change in my character, but it was very performance-oriented. So when I became a believer in Jesus Christ at age 20, and I had something real, my faith, suddenly I, I didn't want any performance stuff. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want any, any boxes to check. That's why I resisted being baptized to begin with. Because it was like, whoa, 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 I got something real inside my heart. Let's not go back to boxes. But what Paul's saying is that we know him better. Not boxes to check, but depth to relationship. Know him. Now, the, the Western mindset about knowing someone, let's say, for example, that I was going to uh, introduce, uh, uh, let's, let's choose Barb. She's not here today. We'll pick on her. So uh, if I was going to introduce Barbara, my best friend, to you guys, I might say something like, if it was a Western mindset, this is uh, Barbara Coffin. That's her name. Um, Barbara is a, um, uh, a wife. Her husband passed away. Uh, she is a mother of two, a uh, grandmother of five, a great-grandmother of two. She uh, it, it was a nurse and retired a few years ago. She is uh, a greeter and part of the uh, discipleship crew at uh, Coast, uh, Coast Hills Church. I, I, that's how I would introduce her in a, in, a, in a Western mindset. If I wanted you to get to know Barbara, that's how I would do it. But if I was using a, an Eastern mindset, this is how I would introduce Barbara. I, said, I would say, this is Barbara Coffin. She is my nearest and dearest best friend of 40-some-odd years. She's the kindest, most empathetic, generous self-serving or not self-serving serving others kind of person on the face of the earth now now which told you more about her title nurse mother grandmother whatever no knowing something about her about her character and so on when we when we see paul say i'm praying that you would get to know him better it's not savior check creator check almighty god check no it's the sweetness of the relationship. You can tell when somebody's growing in the Lord because, because they start getting sweeter because they've been with Him. They're drawing out of that relationship something. It's not a thing to do. It's a hanging around. It's a, 
it's a joy. It's a, it rubs off. It's not, you don't, you don't buy a box of it. It just, woo, yeah. That's what he's praying for. That we, that we may know him better. Know him personally, yes, that starts with salvation, but it increases in our sanctification. And then, and then it becomes perfect once, once we get to glory. The idea that that relationship grows. Now look, all of you, I know, pray for your families. But too often we pray for the wrong things. A, a friend of mine uh, the other day uh, was concerned. Her husband apparently is a little shaky on employment and it's looking like he might quit his job again. And so she was wanting us all to pray that he would stay in his job. Okay, that's fine. But is there, a, is there another prayer request behind the stay in your job? What, 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 what might it be? Somebody help me. What, what might we pray for, for this man, that, that would be behind the stay in your job? The Lord would lead him. Yes. To do what he has for him. Yes, and what's behind that? Yes. That he would desire work by, you know, find work. And why would he want to desire work? To support the family. Yes, certainly. That's a big deal. <laughs> to give glory to God. To give glory to God and the expression of his gifts and abilities. Can you see how it just keeps unfolding? It's not, you know, gee, Lord, should we move to Texas? I don't know that it's any more spiritual in Texas than California. Cheaper, but I don't know about spiritual. So, so when we're praying, well, should my daughter move to Texas? What what would be behind that prayer? If we if we were praying that she might know him better, what would be behind the leader whether or not she should move to Texas? What would be behind that? Yeah, that she would recognize God wanted to work in her life no matter where she was that the pursuit of a location would not be nearly as important as the pursuit of her relationship with Christ. That if indeed she's supposed to move to Texas, she will recognize the relationships that can be developed and and accentuate her growth and development in Christ. It's a totally different way to pray. Make my husband patient. (laughs) Well, first off, that's a stupid prayer because... The Bible says the tribulation worketh patience, and what you've just asked asked God to do is bring tribulation on your family. So I'm not recommending that. But why? What would be behind that one? Instead of you know, make my husband more patient, or make my husband more loving. There's the one. I want you to make my husband more loving. I'm praying for my husband that he'd be more loving. What would be a more meaningful prayer behind that? That he would sense and understand and experientially uh, feast on his relationship with the Lord so much that he was filled up and it just rolls out. Isn't that a better prayer than make him patient or make him more loving? That's what Paul's saying. Give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation so they may know you better. If you have children, that's the number one prayer. Not that they go to college, not that they get married, not that they have kids, not that they live here or go there. But they may know him better. 
and all the stuff that's behind that prayer. Second one shows up in verse 18 and 19. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that, there's our little word, why? So that you may know three things, the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He's praying that these folks in this church, whom he knows very well, that their heart would be enlightened, illuminated. I don't know about you, the older I get, the more light I need to read. I'm going to install a spotlight in my, in my bedroom over my desk. I need light to be able to see. I need light in order to, to, to know what I have in Christ. I need, I need illumination. I need insight. I need, I need someone to say, look, 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 look. I mentioned Texas a moment ago, and I read a story this last week about a guy who owned some dusty old land in you know, West Texas, and he had a few scrawny cattle on it, and he eked out a living. And, and, and after years and years and years of that, uh, one of the oil companies came along and said, hey, would you mind if we did a few test drills around your property? And they did the test drills, and lo and behold, there were billions of dollars worth of oil just underneath the surface of his dusty old cattle ranch. He had that. He owned it. He has the deed. It was all his, but he had no clue how to actuate it, how to, how to, how to get into it, how to make it be a part of of, of the sustaining uh, uh, of his family. We act like that. We don't realize as believers what we have. And that's why Paul says, I'm praying that God will, will turn the light bulb on for you. And you'll see three things. That you have unbelievable hope, which is really the idea that we are being changed. The number one thing I look forward to heaven is not all the other things that you might consider. The number one thing I look forward to heaven for is to be done with me i'm sick of to hear of me i'm sick of to hear of of the fact that i am bent towards sin now you know you you might say well aren't there some other things you're looking for of course i want to be with jesus i want to i want to be in his proximity i want to know what it's like to not have to struggle with with an old adamic nature and, and, and he's saying, well, wait a minute, do you realize, this is Paul, do you realize you have a hope of being changed into his likeness? I don't, that doesn't dawn, I don't draw on that very often. The, the concept here is that we need to look at life not as the end all of end alls, but as the, the training period, the lobby, the foyer. Our culture does not do that. We look at our lives and we get that, what was it, 83 years or 81, I can't remember, whatever our little lifestyle is, or life uh, length, span, thank you. You know, we look at that and that's, that's it. That's all there is. That's, that's sacrosanct. It's just so important. Or we look at our kids and we're, we're the same way with them. The, 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 the years. Guys, this, this stuff we're doing every day is a lobby. It's a foyer. It's a training ground. It's the beginning. It's the, it's the preamble. It's the dot amidst the line. You know that, that illustration? You know, let's say we get 81 years. How long is 81 in light of an eternity? It's a dot. A tiny little dot. You know, put a, a dot on your, on, your, on your notes and then draw a line to the left and right of that dot. Eternity goes all the way that way to the beginning. And it goes all the way that way to the end. 
And in the middle is Sherry Whirl's lifespan. Whoopee-doo. It's just a little blip. Now, admittedly, it's the only blip I know. And it's one that God sent his son to die for. So it has high value and high perspective from him. But nonetheless, this is not all there is. Crank down the intensity. But she didn't get in Stanford. Who gives a rip? Probably shouldn't have gone in the first place. But we didn't get the house. He didn't get the job. We didn't get the data. We really wanted the data. All of that's part of the dot. Paul says, I want you to know that you're being changed into his likeness. This is just a piece of it. That's an enormous perspective giver. Second thing he prays that they might understand what they have in Christ is the riches. Now, we're not talking about money. We're not talking about money. But this is a depository of things that are worth a whole lot more than money. Would you trade money for comfort? What about strength? Okay, so I saw the surgeon a week or so ago, and he says, you know, you probably statistically have have dodged the cancer bullet and the stroke bullet and the heart attack bullet, but you got you got the skeletal stuff. I got lots of joints, bone on bone. And he said, so isn't that better? And yeah, okay, I, sure. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you know, would would I take? Um, um, I, Let's pick a good size number, $100,000, or would I like to be pain-free? Pain-free every day, all day. Every day, all day. We'll make it a million. Pain-free all day, every day. See, the riches are strength and comfort, encouragement, even correction and rebuke. We forget what we have access to. We act like, you know, you remember when you were a kid, I hope, you got a little bank book and you know, went and opened your first little savings account and it was a little, mine was red, I think, a little red book. And you could write your deposits in there and every time mom or dad went to the bank, I went to the bank and I made my deposits and I wrote it in my own handwriting and whatever. And then at some point I could draw it out. Obviously, good skill learning for a kid. Uh, it's exactly that way, except I forget that he's writing in my book every single day. Lamentations 3, we're going to look at Lamentations on Thursday. You know, his mercies are new every morning. He takes my little red book and he just fills it all out every single morning. But I don't even, I don't even crack the book. I don't even think about it. I lean on, on resources that, that I've eked out. How dumb. Paul say, I'm praying that, that their eyes would be opened and, and they'd realize what they have in Christ. And thirdly, that they would understand the power they have. He uses four different words and they all mean a, a, essentially the same thing uh, about power and, and authority and energy and strength and might in this passage. But the one, dunamis, is the word from which we get dynamite. What Paul's saying is that, that I pray that this person that I'm praying for would understand that they've got dynamite rolling around in their back pocket. 
that the very same power that, that was used to rise Jesus from the dead is the power that's available to me to live out my life today, Tuesday. Do we walk around like that? That we've got, you know, hand grenades in our pockets and we can pull pins and roll them down the table and kaboom, good stuff happens? No, we slough through life. And Lord, if you're not too busy, you would aggregate if you could use me in some small, tiny little way. I don't know. I'm just a wife and a mother. And all the time in our back pocket are sticks of dynamite with which to live our life. That kind of power. The resurrection of Jesus was the model and it's the power that we possess. Now we, we see that power get manifested when we exercise our gifts. If you're not exploring and working hard to know and utilize the gifts God has given you, both spiritual gifts and natural gifts, then you're not going to know anything about his power. But if you get immersed up to here, well, maybe here so you can breathe. In, in the exercise of your spiritual gifts, watch, watch his power start to be displayed around you. Wow. Oh, well, I, I didn't. Uh, uh. Paul's praying that their eyes would be open so they'd see what they had in Christ. Do not pray that your kid gets good grades in school. Who cares? Now, yes. Pray that they be diligent. Pray that they develop a, a sense of, of self-discipline. Perfect. Pray that they have a sense of energy toward what they do. Yes. But not, ergo, give them an A. What you want to pray is that their eyes would be open and they'd have some idea of what's in their little red book. Because they're going to bounce through life wondering what they got. And it's very shallow. What we write in the red book is very shallow. On my best day. It ain't much. But every day, I have access to unbelievable power. I don't always use it. I don't always actuate it. You've got to turn the stinking light switch on for the lights to come on. But it's there. All right, he's going to pray for some other things in chapter 3. In chapter 3, in about verse third, uh, 16, he's going, to, he's going to pray for them uh, in, in a slightly different way. 3.16. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He prays that they would be strengthened so that Christ could dwell in their inner being. My problems are not generally with externals. They are on the inside. They are inner conflicts. They are, they are things that, that, that go on below the waterline. You don't get to see them. The truth of the matter is every single person that we know is broken in one form or another. Barb and I were having a conversation the other day. We were praying for a particular person and I said, you know, they're just broken. They, they come to the table every morning in pieces. And then I sat there and I looked at her and I said, but so do I. And so do you. Their, their brokenness is different than my brokenness. Every one of us have a childhood that was less than glorious in some way or some fashion. We have a relationship that's, that's messed with us somewhere. Every one of us has a, a health thing that we either are currently hassling with or are afraid we're going to hassle with. 
Every one of us have a relationship strain somewhere in our lives. Every one of us has got sin for which we feel guilt and shame. We're as broken as, as you know, little pieces. And he's praying that, that Christ would dwell in their inner being. You got, a, you got a 13-year-old daughter? Pray for her inner being. <laughs> right? Well, I pray that she, you know, makes good choices. Yeah, I get it. But what's behind the good choices? She's got to feel full. She's got to feel whole. She's got to feel accepted. How does she get all that? By a relationship with Christ. He prays, he prays that, that that inner being would be strengthened. Verse 17, he, he keeps going in, with his prayer. He says, so that uh, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp something in order to understand something. And what's the something? How wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ? He prays that, that, that they might be rooted in love, that they might be able to draw from the sweetness of the relationship with Christ. Turn to Romans chapter 8, back a couple of books. A passage that's probably familiar to, to most of you. <coughs> Romans chapter 8, in, uh, starting in about verse 35. Paul says, uh, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tri trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And he quotes an Old Testament passage. He said, no, in verse 37. In all of these things, that is the trouble, the hardship, the persecution, the famine, and so on, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, I am settled, I get it. I'm sitting in this truth that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither any height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The dimensions of love. When uh, your kids were little, you had some sort of an expression of, of uh, how much you loved each other. Many of you, the, the book about the moon, I love you to the moon and back. Right? How many of you, that's your, your little expression in your home? None of you? Oh, oh okay. Let me do the money back. Or something else. Um, when Brianna was little, and I've, I've mentioned this to you before, but when she was little and we were playing that game, I love you more. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. I finally said to her, competitive that I am, always wanting to win, I said, no matter how much you ever love me, I will always love you one bucket more. And that little phrase, one bucket more, is now how we express our love to each other. So when she texts me, the last thing she says when we're texting is, one bucket more. She'll say it when we were at the airport not too long ago. We were standing there crying, saying goodbye, and she's hollering going down the gangplank, one bucket more! <laughs> what do you think God's saying to you? Say one bucket more. Sit to the moon and back. He's saying, you know, and, 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 and when we pray for someone, isn't that a more profound way to pray for them? That they would experientially know that? When I pray for Brianna, I, 
I don't believe I ever have um, prayed for her to be happy. Never. Because happiness is too shallow. She can be happy, you know, uh, at a, at a, I don't know, whatever it is, 30-year-olds do. You know, I mean, she can be happy in, in things, a trip, uh, an experience, a, a location, uh, meeting someone, doing something, owning something. She can be happy with, uh, uh, you know, whatever, a purchase. I, I don't care. I want her to know something about the joy of serving the Lord, the depth of being able to run that bucket down and every time run it back up and it's full. I want her to know something about that. When I pray for her, I want her to be rooted in, in love so that she can get some sense of, of God standing there. I love you this much. The outstretched arms on the cross. I love you this much. And it's deep and it's wide and it's thick and it goes on forever. That's when I want to pray for people because then they can draw on it. Paul says in verse 19, one more, he prays that they might know something about how, how this works. He says in verse 19, uh, wait a minute, I'm still in Romans, let me go back to Ephesians, sorry. Uh, 3.19, that, and, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. That, that, that you know something about the kind of love that surpasses knowledge. It is great that you're in church. It's great that you're in a Bible study. It's great that you spend time in God's word. You should learn what's in this book. But if that's all you do, you're eating straw. What has to happen is that it gets translated. Love surpasses the knowledge. He wants them to be filled up to a full measure. He wants them to be mature. When you look at your child at at eight or nine years of age, you, you, you love that age. It's fun. It's whatever. But you don't want them to stay there. And, and, you know, and, they're, and they're bouncing through life at 16 or 17 or 18. You go, oh my gosh, please don't stay there. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're hoping at some point there's a little maturing that happens and they become a full-fledged adult. How about praying for other people that same way? That has nothing to do with age or stage of life. It has to do with the growth inside of our our hearts and our souls that we would mature. Pray that your husband would mature, that he'd grow up to the full measure of what God had in mind. Pray that for your children. Sit in what you know and pray. And don't pray what I call B6 prayers. You know, uh, uh, vending machines. There are not a lot of them left, but there used to be vending machines everywhere. You took quarters, now it would be dollars, I'm sure. But you would go out to the vending machine, you find the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, which is what I always look for, and then you hit the button. B6. And what happened? <laughs> At the bottom would flop out my Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. We pray like that. B6. Bless mommy. B6. Bless daddy. <laughs> B6, get him a job. What I'm suggesting is we go one step beyond that, beyond the B6, and pray like the model that that Paul's giving us. Now, at the end of every lesson, we ought to ask the question, okay, so that's what Ephesians says. That's what Paul's modeling, how to pray in order that certain significant things happen. 
What are some practical things? What, so, so what? What do I take out of here? Well, the very first thing I want to suggest to you is that you learn to praise Scripture back to God. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know what that's like? Oh, Lindy does. Okay. So let, let's look for an example. Uh, in just the text we were just in, chapter uh, 1, look at verses 17 through 19. So in my Bible, if you looked up here, I brought my, my personal Bible today to show you. I've written in the corner, I put a little bracket around it, little bracket, and I wrote, uh, prayer to pray. And then, I, you know, there's another one in chapter 3, which we were just talking about. There's a little bracket and prayer to pray. And then I put some other ones, Colossians. So I put over a couple of books. Book of Colossians, where is it? Chapter 1, verse, yeah, prayer to pray. So everywhere in my New Testament, when I came across where Paul says, and I pray that, that happens, I started at the top, put a little bracket, and I came down however many verses it was, and I put a little bracket, and I wrote on the margin, prayer to pray. So now when I go to pray for someone, instead of B6, I go to one of these prayers, and I use God's words to pray back for someone. You don't think God loves hearing his words come back? And it lifts my eyes. It makes me pray for something other than, please give him a job, or please... Please, something else. So let me look at um, look at Colossians. That's a good one. Look at Colossians chapter 1. And look at verse 9, down through verse 12. So this is a great prayer to pray for, for teenage uh, kids that are ha- ha- hauling off to college or just getting married. They're, they're, they're approaching their adulthood. So here's how we, get, we pray. So, uh, since the day we heard about you, that is the day God put you in my arms, I've not stopped praying for you. And here's what I'm asking God to do for you, Brianna. To fill you with the knowledge of his will. Lord, that she would know what you want from her. And and I'm asking God to fill you all up with that. and, 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 And use spiritual wisdom and understanding in life. Instead of tolerance and everything else the world's telling you to use. Lord, I'm praying that that she might live a life worthy of the Lord. That she might please you in every way. Father, that she start bearing some fruit in her work. And that she would grow in the knowledge of God. Lord, I ask that you'd strengthen her. She needs all of your power. Because, because she needs great endurance and patience, Lord. And, and, and Lord, I, I want to give you thanks for what you're already doing in the life of Brianna. I'm using the exact words that you find in the scripture to pray back for someone. That is an incredible way to move from B6 to a more meaningful prayer life. So I encourage you to do that. Look for your own, find them, block them off, figure out where they are, put them on a three-by-five card, whatever you got to do, but pray scripture back to the Lord. Another thought I wanted to give you was how, how, to, how to kind of structure your prayers. So, so most of us, we pray when there's a need. In fact, I, I didn't mention this, but Paul, the reason he goes off on uh, talking about prayer is he says that I heard a good report. I heard a good report about the church at Ephesus, and, and I want to commend you. Too often, our prayer life is triggered by bad reports. The kid's in trouble. So-and-so loses a job. Somebody had a, a diagnosis from the doctor. Things are not good, and that triggers our prayers. So what happens is we go to the throne room and we start with, uh, could you, could you please, would you, would it be good, we really need you, could you, it's important. Yes, and that, that certainly expresses dependence, nothing wrong with that. 
but wouldn't it be great to, to do a little more than that? I mean, your kids, when they come in, mom, can I have, mom, can I have, mom, can I have? Yes, they are dependent on you. That's fine. You love it. You want to you wanna provide for them. But every now and then, wouldn't it be nice for a kid to say, mom, I love you. Thanks for, you know, nice dinner. Really appreciate it. Love my lunch today. Thanks a lot. You, doesn't that enhance the relationship just a little? So, for example, in our passage that we were just looking at in Ephesians, there, there is the opportunity to maybe do this. Approach God first, then do some asking, and then to make sure that we end up on, on adoration. So in chapter 3, this, this I put it in your note, it was a church that I snagged it out of, the town church. But they, they approached by, by kneeling, closing our eyes, lifting our hands, holding hands with others, and, and then they started their prayer. Father, I approach you knowing that you've blessed us with every spiritual blessing. I know chapter 1, that long 278-word uh, sentence is there, and you have chosen us from the foundation of the world. You predestinate us. You redeemed us by your blood. You forgive us our sins. Lord, I am grateful. I, I approach you knowing you've you provided all of these things. That's better than, hey, Lord, could you? Then you get into the ask. Lord, would you strengthen so-and-so? Would you such-and-such so-and-so? Would you increase the faith of so-and-so? Would you help so-and-so to understand? Appropriate. And then you end up, at the end of that passage, with a, a season of adoration. Father, I offer up these prayers to you, knowing that you're able to do far more than I could ever ask or think. I'm here because I know there is a, an, a, a, an untappable, or not untappable, uh, it's, it never runs out, your ability to, to meet our needs. My point is, is that prayer doesn't have to be a, a two-second, could you, could you, could you. Another thing, some practical things. Um, you say, well, you know, I've tried this praying thing, and it's really hard. Okay. When you first fell in love with your husband, did you have to practice communicating with him? I had a roommate one time uh, that she shared a room with me. And she hadn't dated for a long time and found the right guy. And oh my gosh, she was head over heels in love with him. And every stinking night, I had to go to sleep listening to her. <laughs> for hours. At any point, did she have to drum that up? <laughs> did she have to go to a seminar to learn how to communicate with him? Was she reading a book with an outline with, you know, 16 points out to be a better communicator? Of course not. She simply was expressing what was in that relationship. And that's all God wants. It's for us to show up and, and be a part of that relationship. So if it's been difficult for you, start over. Look, you know, is it true that uh, when you, let's say, you start a new eating plan or a focus on health or a diet or whatever, and you blow it, that suddenly having blown it, you go, oh, that's it, I tried it. <laughs> health, health is not for me. I'm done. <laughs> you know, it was a great effort. You know, I made it to noon that first day. <laughs> no, what, is, what do they tell you? Start again. Start again. So I'm looking at you saying... If your prayer life is a little anemic, start again. Anemic. Anemic? Anemic. Yeah, whatever it is. Anemic. Start again. 
Or if you have a prayer life, renew it, enhance it, sweeten it up. One of the things that helps is to set a time and try to be consistent. Now, if you've got little bitty kids, I understand that's hard. But, but, but find a time to give God the best part of your day, not the leftovers. Choose something that works for you. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's in the car at, at lunchtime at work. Maybe it's first thing in the morning. Maybe it's in the evening. Maybe it's after everybody gets out of the house. You get the kids to school. You get everybody gone. Now you've got whatever. Whatever the time is, it doesn't matter. It's wonderful to start the day that way, but it's not you know, critical. A mental image that's helped me with that, because I am not by nature a morning person. Um, you guys have heard me say before that I think that uh, the Jewish concept of time is a far better concept. Their day starts in the evening, sundown you know, the day before, and then it runs through to sundown the next day. In fact, I have biblical evidence for this. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you go look, it says, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Anyway. So I'm not a roll out of bed, isn't it great to be alive? Yes, where's my Bible? I want to spend time with the Lord kind of person. I, I have to fight against that. I, my brother, when he was here this summer, was making fun of me. He called me the bear, that I came out of hibernation every morning. And that's kind of how I feel every day. It's like, I, I must sleep very strongly. And, and, I, and it's like, okay, okay, it's a, it's a new day. But something that's helped me, maybe you don't have a problem with that. You're one of those that gets up with the crows, but... Um, I have a mental picture of, of something that I want to do. My happy place is the mountains. I want to smell pine. I want it a little cold. I want it a little damp. I want a fire in the fireplace. That, that's my happy place. So my mental picture in the morning is that God got up before me. He went downstairs. He put on a great fire in the fireplace. He got my little blankie that I like to put over across my little whatevers. He made the coffee. He has my favorite mug. It's not a mug. It's a china cup. Uh, my, my bone china cup is sitting there and the carafe is full of freshly made wonderful coffee and he's just sitting there he's waiting for me <laughs> who wouldn't want to go so give him a time the best part of your day. Set a reasonable goal for prayer. Don't say, I'm going to start praying today one hour. <laughs> if, if, you know, if you're a B6er, one hour ain't happening. You got to work up to it. It's like any spiritual discipline. Needs, needs some work. So if this is a new thought for you, five minutes. I'm asking for five. One, two, three, four, five. Commercials. The length of commercials on TV. <laughs> Be reasonable. Maybe consider some accountability. Maybe lean over to somebody here this morning and say, hey, uh, prayer is something that, that's a challenge for me. I, I struggle with it on, on many levels. And, and I'm giving you permission to ask me next week how that did. And it's not a report like, well, I made five out of seven. It's not that kind of a thing. It's a, how did it go? How was the relationship? Was, was it sweet? Are some of these things we talked about helpful? Have, have a, a sense of accountability. Maybe writing your prayers out. I haven't written in a journal in years, and I started journaling again about a month ago, and I'm really enjoying it. Now, I don't write out my prayers, 
But the journaling is helping me with that, that whole process anyway. Some people actually write out their prayers. Or take your laptop. If you're into laptops, write out your prayers. You go, oh, I couldn't do that. You have to have your eyes closed to pray. Really? <laughs> Show me in the Bible where it says close your eyes. In fact, it does not. <laughs> in point of fact, in some places it says with eyes wide open. <laughs> you say, well, I can't pray with my eyes open. Why? Pray. Write them out. Write letters to God. Dear God. I, I think I've only actually written out one prayer and I was mad at him. Dear God, I'm mad at you. <laughs> it was a, you know, a time in my life when there was something going on and, and I needed to express it. And I sat down. Dear God, I am mad at you. That was my opening line. He said, oh, you couldn't do that with God. Really? He doesn't know. <laughs> what, you're kind of hiding it from him? Love you, Lord. Really hate you, but love you, Lord. <laughs> Detailed lists, prayer lists. And I'm not talking about give her a good job. I'm talking about the things we talked about. What's behind that prayer? Keeping lists. I, I, I've done a, a, a dozen ways in my, in my spiritual walk. A dozen ways. They work for a season, and then I've got to go to another one. Right now, I've got an app called Echo. You know the app? It's on your phone. You can buy it at the app store. It's called Echo. It's a, it's a prayer list kind of thing. And it helps you manage it. You know, it pops up in, during your day. It'll remind you of certain things, certain times, certain people, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. Do something. Make sure that this week you're kneeling before your Father. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this passage in Ephesians. In the context of these grand, profound truths, we see the example of, of Paul in prayer. And not in a surface way, but in a significant way. Deepen our walk by teaching us how to pray. Father, we know we should pray. But we need to have, have richness associated with it. Draw us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.